all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. I've got a question for you. Why together? Last month in June, something pretty amazing happened. All Places Together passed the 100-episode mark. Thank you to everyone who listened and for being a part of that journey. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to all 100 and however many before, I'm so glad you're with us today. Then the month before that, in May, APT completed our second full year of ministry. We are on to year three and into our next hundred episodes. It's so much to be thankful for and to reflect on. And there are some really exciting things happening behind the scenes with what's going to happen in this next year. I'm not quite able to share about them yet, but soon. And I just hope that you'll trust me that this next year is going to be really cool. Our newest podcast series will help us both reflect on what this ministry has been over the past two years and also invite us to wonder and dream about what's to come. This series is called Together, and over the next month and a half, we'll reflect and remember about the importance and value of being together, being together with God, being together with family and friends being together in our communities, being together with others who follow Jesus. Being together as creatures on this planet we call Earth with all of the other creations of God. Today, we'll explore the question of why together? Why are we together at all? In the coming weeks, we'll hear what God has to say about who we are to be together with and how we can be together or the things that we do when we are together. At the end of this series, the All Places community will begin a new rhythm of being together as well. Starting in August, we'll be gathering for monthly Zoom communion. Stay tuned for the date, time, and how to join. So to jumpstart this series, I asked on Instagram this past week about what are some of your favorite ways to be together with God and God's people. Here's what y'all had to say. Trista shared that she loves being outside with God, especially when she can either hike or do yoga or have deep conversations with friends. Being away from first world distractions helps her to feel more connected to God and create space for those profound conversations to happen. Similarly, Micah shared that she loves deep conversations on walks as well as sitting around a campfire. And Micah wasn't the only one who was fond of campfires. Kim shared that being at camp is also one of her favorite ways to be with God and others. And y'all, I love this next one. Kim also said that being at the Taylor Swift concert or live music in general in any form or fashion is a way that she feels together with God. And like, you know, I've got a lot to say about how I saw God's creative power, beauty, the importance of varied gifts, like all on display at the Eras tour, but That's not the focus of today's episode, but I could talk a lot about that. So yes, live music, whether you're creating it or experiencing it, is a holy way to be together with God and God's people. 
Finally, Sarah shared that sharing meals is one of the ways she loves being together. Sign me up. I love eating together, too. Thanks to everyone who shared an answer. Your responses enable the podcast to include more voices and enables us to be together as we wonder. So let's do that. Let's wonder together, beginning with the first question of this series. Why? A biblical answer that is simple and true comes from the book of Genesis, the second creation story. That's right. There's two creation stories. The first one comes in the first uh, chapter of Genesis, and it's the version that talks about God making everything in six days and then resting on the seventh. The second creation story comes right after that in the second chapter and tells the story a little bit differently. I'll be pulling from some different resources for this next bit. Will DeGaffney has done incredible translation and scholarship on this particular story in her women's lectionary for the whole church. However, she doesn't include some of the verses that I really want to talk about, so we'll also be getting some from the updated version of the NRSV as well. In this second version of the creation story, God makes a singular human first. Gaffney's version of Genesis 2-7 reads, The sovereign God crafted the human from the dust of the humus and breathed into its nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living soul. The Hebrew for human at this point in the story is the noun that comes from the verb that describes the act of crafting pottery. I know that was like a really complicated sentence, so I'm going to say it again. That this noun for human comes from the verb that describes how a person crafts pottery. The word is ha-adama. It's like the thing crafted from the earth or from the clay. Later in the story, this word ha-adama gets shortened into a name, Adam. But Gaffney argues in her scholarship here that this first creation, this first human, isn't gendered yet. This isn't Adam the name. It's Ha-Adama, the creature, crafted like pottery from the earth, the human. After being created, this human gets put into the Garden of Eden and is given instructions on what to eat and what not to eat. And then God says this in Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 20. And now this is from the NRSVU updated. And I did shift the word man to human and his to the humans. So it would kind of reflect this work that we're trying to follow of Gaffney's. The Lord God said, it is not good that the human should be alone. I will make them a helper as the human's partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the human to see what the human would call them. And whatever the human called every living creature, that was its name. The human gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every living animal of the field. But for the human, there was not found a helper as the human's partner. Whether you read this story literally, which I don't, or metaphorically, which I do, 
I think the truth of people needing people remains an ancient and holy truth taught by this story. Part of God's design, however that design unfolds, is that it's not good for us to be alone. Now, animals can be incredible companions for people. Truth be told, some animal companions can do things for people that other people can't. I'm thinking of like highly trained service dogs who can sense seizures and sense blood sugar levels doing weird things. Like, and even if they aren't service animals, pets have been shown to have a positive impact on anxiety, depression, and even blood pressure in people. I am a dog mom and I love my Luna deeply. Animals are incredible. Yet animals aren't people. People still need people. And so after creating all of the animals and seeing that the fit wasn't quite there for the first human, God gets back to work. I'm shifting back to Gaffney's translation here for Genesis 2, 21 to 25. The sovereign God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human and it slept, then took one of its sides and closed up its place with flesh in place of it. And the sovereign God built the side that had been taken from the human into a woman and brought her back to the human. Then the human said, This time, this one is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of a man it was taken. Then this goes back to the narrator's voice. Therefore, a man leaves his mother and his father and clings to his woman, and they become one flesh. And they were, the two of them, naked, and his woman, or the woman and her man, were not ashamed. There are a few important notes that come from Gaffney's scholarship on this part of the story. First is that the Hebrew word that is commonly translated as rib in this story is actually never translated as rib anywhere else in the rest of the Hebrew scripture. Everywhere else, it is translated as side, which is why Gaffney chooses to use the word side here. So what follows from this translation is that two equal halves of the first human are used to make two different people. This is like very different and has different implications than just a rib being taken from a man to make a woman. The original Hebrew points to an equality between these first two people that later translators interpreted quite differently. A second note is that ancient Hebrew has no distinct words for wife and husband. Based on the explicit mention of marriage in other texts, translators do choose to use the word wife and husband. But here in this portion of Genesis, there isn't any talk of marriage, just this idea of belonging to each other that we get from the possessive pronouns, his woman or her man. Often this text is used in support of a traditional understanding of marriage. But the truth is, this text doesn't talk about marriage. It talks about people needing people people growing up with their birth families and then leaving them and then clinging to a partner. Leaving birth families and clinging to a partner is ideally part of what happens when two people of any sex or gender identity marry. I also think this is what happens whenever people choose family or form really deep bonds of friendship. 
Now, we aren't usually naked with family, like it talks about in that second verse, but I do hope that we are unashamed of our bodies when we are with our families. So overall, I think these verses speak powerfully to the importance of chosen family, especially within the queer community, when your birth family isn't affirming or accepting. You've really got to cling to your people. So a first answer to the question of why together is this. It is not good for us to be alone. So we cling to the people who we are partners with, whether those are romantic, platonic, or familial relationships. And a bonus, we get to have pets that help take care of us and bring us joy each and every day. A second answer to this question is developed from the long list of biblical stories that talk about how people figure things out together. And I mean figure out all of the things. Things about survival, things about understanding God, and things about relationships. People need people to physically survive. And then we also need each other to thrive, to thrive in our relationships with God and with each other. We need each other to figure life out. The list of stories about figuring out life together in the Bible is long. Like probably really most stories of the Bible that are like truly narratives could fit in this category. We're not going to talk about them all. I just want to lift up a few that are really powerful to me. First is the story of Ruth and Naomi as told in the Hebrew scriptures in the book, Ruth. Naomi was a wife and a mother to two sons. She had moved into a foreign land with her husband and her two sons were married to women from that foreign land. Tragically, Naomi's husband and both of her sons died. She instructs her daughters-in-law to return to their families. One does, but the second, Ruth, says she wants to stay with Naomi. In a beautiful poem that is often read at weddings, Ruth says that she will stay with Naomi, that she will go where she goes, make a home with her home, and that Naomi's God will be her God. So the two of them return to Naomi's homeland as poor widows with no men to provide for them or to protect them. This was not good news in a patriarchy. But together they find a way to survive. They glean in the fields for food to eat. This means coming behind the official harvesters and picking up what was left behind. This was part of the Hebrew custom for farmers to intentionally leave food behind for those who were hungry to collect. So they're gleaning to get food to eat. And then through some distant family connections and some excellent flirting skills, Ruth ends up engaged to a man named Boaz who promised to take care of both her and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi overcame the challenges of being widowed in a patriarchal society that didn't allow for them to inherit land or wealth. They were provided for by the wider community practice of gleaning, and then in figuring out her second marriage, Ruth made sure that Naomi would be protected and provided for as well. They made it through together. Mary and Elizabeth are another set of women who made sense of intense life circumstances together. This story is told in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Elizabeth was married to a man named Zechariah, and they didn't have any children. She spent her entire life being shamed by others for not being a mom. Well, that is until Elizabeth got pregnant at an advanced age, 
at least by biblical standards. This pregnancy was foretold by an angel and her life was turned upside down. Mary found herself in a both opposite and similar situation. Mary was also pregnant, and this was also foretold by an angel. But Mary was not married. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, but they weren't together yet. She was facing shame for getting pregnant out of wedlock. During her pregnancy, Mary runs to go and visit Elizabeth. And when they greet, the baby in Elizabeth's uterus does some flips. And Elizabeth says that the baby recognizes the baby in Mary and that that other baby is the son of God. Then they have this time together to talk about what God is doing through them. This story speaks so powerfully to how we need each other to be able to understand what God is up to in our lives and to support one another when other people are being mean. (laughs) I believe that their time together gave them the strength they needed to get through the rest of their pregnancies, to not let the haters get them down, and to keep faith in God's plan. Mary and Elizabeth make sense of and make it through God's unfolding plan together. The last story I want to reflect on in this section is a miracle story. Versions of this story are told in all four Gospels, and I'm not really focusing on any particular version of it, just the basic outline of Jesus feeding thousands of people in a miraculous way. Each of these stories has a similar sort of setup. Thousands of people have been caught up listening to Jesus teach. Then suddenly, it's time for a meal and everyone is hungry. But it turns out there's not enough food. Jesus ends up multiplying fish and bread for everyone to eat. Some small quantity of loaves and fish become enough to feed everyone, and then there's usually baskets worth of food left over. Now, it is entirely possible that Jesus physically transformed this small amount of food into a massive amount. I also think it's possible that as people saw others sharing, they started sharing too. Like they had food and they were willing to give it to other people. Or perhaps it's a combination of these possibilities. Maybe Jesus did multiply the quantity of food that people had brought with them, but it wasn't just a handful of fish and loaves to start with. Maybe it was like 500 loaves and 200 fish or something. I don't know. But no matter how it happened, these stories show us that Jesus cares that we have physical needs and that he provides for them. This story also teaches us about generosity, even when we don't think we have enough or something worth sharing. Jesus, the disciples, and the crowds learn and eat together. This story actually points to my final answer to the question of why together. The answer is... Jesus doesn't do much alone while on earth, so we should maybe try to be like Jesus in that way too. Now, beloved introverts of mine, I feel like you probably just took a deep breath in, a gasp, and are like, Colleen, this is too much. I'm not suddenly saying that you have to be with people all of the time. That's not it. And I'm also not throwing shade to people who have smaller friend groups or families. So, My dear introvert listeners, I hope you're still with me now and that you'll stick with me, your extroverted podcast host, as I talk about how Jesus was with people a lot. 
Now, to be clear, there were certainly times when Jesus sought time alone. He went into the wilderness to be tempted alone. At various points, he prayed alone or took time to rest alone. Most notably, he died on the cross alone because of his deep love for us and the world. Jesus did important things alone, and we do too as individuals. Yet he also did a lot with his disciples and taught them to do the same. In all four of the Gospels, Jesus calling some portion of the disciples is one of the first stories that follows his baptism and time of temptation in the wilderness. Who gets called and in what order varies from Gospel to Gospel, but the calling of the disciples is still one of the next stories. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be able to do his ministry on his own. And there's a very practical level to this. Like like we've talked about already, people need people to survive. If he was going to be teaching and preaching and healing all day, also known as like not making any money, he was going to need people to provide for his physical needs. Jesus would need others to help him live. Moreover, the message that Jesus was bringing was about building and restoring community. Jesus was preaching about feeding each other and freeing people from oppression and slavery. Jesus restored people to community through healing and forgiveness. The core of Jesus's message was to love as he loved us. And to love people, you have to be with them at some point in some way. Both during his life and then at the end of his life, Jesus sent out his disciples to do this ministry and work in the world. And he didn't send them alone. Jesus instructed them to go in groups of two so that they weren't alone. Again, I'm sure this is both for practical survival reasons and also for companionship and mutual support. Now, I don't think that that means you have to be together 24-7 or constantly talking, but that you're going into this ministry, into this work with a partner who's there to support you. Lastly, As I think about Jesus's existence beyond his time on earth, I remember that he is part of the Holy Trinity, that the God I believe in and maybe you believe in too is community and relationship and mutuality in and of themselves. God is three parts, parent, son, and spirit. And Jesus isn't ever really alone because all of the parts of God are also in and with him all of the time too. God is always together with God's self and God is together with us too. Next week, our conversation will shift to who God calls us to be with. You know, that is gonna get a little bit complicated. So to keep us in the mindset of together, I hope you'll pay particular attention to together moments that are meaningful to you over the next week. Or if you're binging these episodes straight through, take a breath and think about together moments. When are the moments you feel most connected to God? Share in beauty, experience rest and renewal, and grow in love for the world. And always remember that God is together with you, wherever, whoever, and however you are.
Prayer for Together. God of Together, you created people to be together, together with you, together with each other, together with creation. We need each other to survive and to thrive. But being together isn't always so easy. Give us your compassion so that we can understand each other better. Help us to know when we need space for rest and renewal and when it is time to seek a different kind of together. Center us in your love when we are together, wherever, whoever, and however we are. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. This coming weekend, I'll be at another event with some more Virginia Lutherans. This time, I'm joining the Virginia Synodical Women's Organization for their annual convention. I've never been to this event before, so I'm really looking forward to it. Moreover, they've invited me to share with them about the reconciling in Christ process. I'm so hopeful about this time together and the way that God is leading more churches to deeper understanding of God's love. I also wanted to share the date for our next Zoom communion. Beginning in August, we'll be gathering on the third Monday of each month. So for next month, that is Monday, August 21st. More details to come, but please save the date so that you'll be able to join us. There's a place ready for you. As always, thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important. Thank you also to those who give financially to empower the ongoing ministry of APT. If you would like to give a financial gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Now, click that button, and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. You can make a one-time gift or set up a recurring donation of any amount through that page. Until next time, remember that God loves you, sees you, and is with you, wherever, whoever, and however you are.